Welcome to the study of God's Word with pastor and author Ed Taylor, recorded live from Calvary Chapel in Aurora, Colorado. To learn more about the many resources available through Abounding Grace Media, visit us online at calvaryaurora.org or download our free app on all platforms. And now, here's Pastor Ed to take us into our study. Amen. Amen. Would you please open your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 1 as we have just launched into a study through the book of 1 Peter and we're learning what it is to respond to tough times. We're reminded of the life that Jesus has promised. You know, in John chapter 10 verse 10, Jesus taught us the thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy I have come that you might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. And then Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. And the shepherd gives his life for the sheep. Jesus promises life, real, true, abiding, abundant life. And that a life, that abundant life is yours today by faith. It's not based on circumstances. It's based on the finished work of Jesus Christ. The truth of the grace of God, Christ in you, the hope of glory. That it's not dependent upon your abilities, your efforts, your success, but rather it's dependent upon your surrender and yielding to the finished work of Jesus in your life. Abundant life is ours no matter what's happening around us. And yet, there are also the day-by-day battles the day-by-day warfare, right now in this place, in this moment. There's spiritual warfare both connected to us here, but also online, listening on the radio. There's a raging battle over our enjoyment of the abundant life. (laughs) And that's who Peter's writing to as you come to 1 Peter. He's writing to people who's being challenged by the circumstances of their life. It is overwhelmingly hard for them. It is difficult. And it's come rather suddenly. I mean, they lived under the oppression of the Roman government, but they had sudden changes take place. Losing everything. Losing, not not unlike the group that we're learning about in the book of Hebrews, because of their choice to follow Messiah. Every part of their life was challenged. Every part of their life, both personally, familially, within the culture, their career, everything was put into the fire. And notice in 1 Peter chapter 1, Peter is an apostle of Jesus Christ. And he's writing to the pilgrims. I like that. We don't describe ourselves so much as pilgrims. Truly, when you, here in the United States, when you think of the word pilgrims, you you can think of Thanksgiving and, and the pilgrims that came. But in reality, the idea of being a pilgrim is a temporary journey. There is a temporary journey, or pilgrims, you could also think of the word, another word we don't use so much, but very appropriate, is that we're sojourners. We're wandering through. I don't like that word wandering so much because it it implies that we don't have a destination, but the idea is that this isn't a permanent time for us, that we're just passing through, that we too can be pilgrims because because of our lives, that there is a hope of heaven ahead of us. These particular pilgrims lost everything. And they're in the area of the dispersion because they've been scattered. 
They've been scattered in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, modern-day Turkey. And they are disrupted and discomforted. And so we have Peter the pastor. Remember the man that was untrained and unlearned. He didn't come with a degree or with what he studied. He came because he spent time with Jesus. When you spend time with Jesus, you will be a changed woman and a changed man. You will have a different perspective. You will have a different attitude. Written around 63 or 64 AD, Peter's pastoring this first century believers through very intense times. Rome was burned to be burned in 64. Nero was the likely suspect. Alive to his danger, he sought for a convenient scapegoat and found one in the infant growing church. And he accused the Christians of that time of starting the fire. And by the time it was quenched, the fire had resulted in the virtual destruction of three of the 14 districts in which the city was divided. So what did Nero do? Nero launched a fearful persecution of the church. And the center of the persecution was in Rome. And just as the fire had spread, so the flames of persecution spread. And I know that we have this sense of wanting things to get back to normal in our current trial. And we have a sense of wanting to go back to the way it was. But church, I need to warn you that things can get harder as well. That things can get more difficult in the persecution. Jesus said it would be so. Jesus said, if they hate me, then they also will direct their hatred toward you. This isn't a surprise to any of us. We may be shocked in the mechanism, and we may be shocked in the timing. You know, we would think, you know, I, I know if you look back and listen to some of the Bible studies I've shared over the last 20 years, and we would talk about the persecution, I would always say something like, I don't know when it's going to come here. We're not experiencing like our brothers and sisters around the world, but it could come in my lifetime. I would say something. It could come in my lifetime. Well, guess what? It's coming in our lifetime. We're experiencing persecution in our country with the laws that we have, the republic that's been established in ways that no other generation's experienced. And yet we also live in a nation that has turned their back upon God. We live in a nation that has legalized abortion. We live in a nation that tries to name the name of God, but in many ways wants to remove God from every facet of culture. And as judgment comes upon a nation, all who live in the nation will suffer. And sometimes Christians will be blamed. The ones that, that seek the best of our community. I mean, what was on your lips tonight as you were seeking God? Was it for your personal prosperity? Was it for you to win the lottery? Was it for you to somehow be famous and be a celebrity? No, I know what was on your lips because we all prayed the same thing in unity tonight. We prayed that God would use us to bring the gospel into our community. We prayed for a sensitivity to care about the hurting and the broken. We prayed that once a person takes a step in Jesus Christ and is born again, what do we pray? We prayed that we would be available to them, to train them, to encourage them, or the Bible word is to disciple them, to befriend them as they become a part of a brand new family that is very, very new and unusual for some folks. 
It's very unusual what we're, we're used to it. We live in the family of God, but even then we have our unusual moments, do we not? And what else was on your lips? Well, your lips, you, some of you were praying, I want to go on shore. I want to take the gospel somewhere else. I want, to, I want to encourage, God, would you use me to be an encouragement to people that are on the field right now, people I know personally? God, would you help us as a church fulfill your mandate to be missionaries, not just missionaries around the world, but first in Jerusalem. You read it in Acts 1.8, first in our home base. It starts right in our front room, in our houses, in our families. And then we prayed, didn't we not? We said, no, then take us to the city in Aurora. And then let's not forget Denver and Lakewood and Golden. Let's not forget Colorado on the west side and on the eastern plains and the western slope. Oh, let's not forget about the United States and certainly not forget about the world. That was what the church was doing tonight. Praying for the peace of our city. Praying that we might be used in some cases at great personal sacrifice so that we might obey God's call upon our lives. And even still, there will be resistance and persecution to the church. We will face the wrath of man because their primary hatred is not toward us, but toward the risen Savior, Jesus Christ. And he said it would be so. Nero, the, the persecution as you study it was devastatingly harmful and harsh. In AD 67, war broke out with the Jews, a war that would end finally in the demise of the Jewish state. Nero ended up committing suicide in AD 68 at the age of 32 in the 14th year of his reign. Peter's first epistle seems to have been written sometime between 63 and 67, possibly before, maybe after, but anticipating that things are not going to get better in the physical realm. You see, the Holy Spirit knows, as Peter's writing to the pilgrims of the dispersion, the Holy Spirit knows that in a few years, it's going to be worse and more challenging. And instead of putting out the fires, Nero will order Christians to be burned. And he'll use them to light his own gardens. 500,000 plus Christians will be used in Rome as scapegoats. The citizens of the city, it wasn't merely a man, but the man, the government, the leadership in government. Remember, when you mention government, government is always men and women. And there are only two types of men and women in the world today. There are believers and unbelievers. There's not a third option. So our government is either run by believers or unbelievers. But also remember, when you think of government, number one, think of people, but also number two, think of systems. Think of systems, systems to control. And systems can be so powerful and so strong that can even drown out a Christian testimony where the system is more powerful than the person. That's why our hope is not in man and our hope is not in systems. Our hope is in the finished work of Jesus Christ. Jesus lived, died, rose again, and ascended into heaven. And he sat down at the right hand of the Father, and it is finished. It is complete. And he is faithful. According to historian Severus, he writes, and I quote, In the meantime, the number of Christians began to grow. 
And it happened that Rome was destroyed by fire, while Nero was stationed at Antium. But the opinion of all cast the brunt of causing the, the, brunt of causing the fire upon the emperor. And he was believed in this way to have sought for the glory of building a new city for himself. And in fact, Nero could not, by any means he tried, escape from the charge that the fire had been caused by his orders. So he therefore turned the accusation against the Christians, and the most cruel tortures were accordingly inflicted upon the innocent. Nay, even the new kinds of death were invented, so that being covered in the skins of wild beasts, they perished by being devoured by dogs, while many were crucified or slain by fire. And not a few were set apart for this purpose, that when the day came to a close, that they should be consumed to serve for light during the night. In this way, cruelty first began to be manifested against the Christians. Afterwards, too, their religion was prohibited by laws which were enacted, and the edicts openly set forth was proclaimed unlawful to be a Christian. And their response was to be scattered, as a herding, afflicted, oppressed believers in order to save their lives. The government turned wildly against them. And Peter was used to encourage them and uplift them. It's not easy to be a Christian in the world today. It's very challenging to stand up for what is right, to live life in such a way where we let our light so shine, where we truly are the salt of the earth. This world is not made for the Christian witness. It's antagonistic toward the gospel. The world and its culture, and I've been using this word pretty regularly, is hostile to the Christian. Actively. They make fun of us. They sue us. They harass us. They accuse us of hatred. They suggest that we bring no good to our communities. Governments shut down gatherings. They try, attempt to stop Christians from singing. They have attempted to try to remove Bibles from our hands. I mean, it's wild. At high school or college, when you go to work, even when you go to the supermarket, there are dozens and dozens of attacks upon our Christian faith. Words attack us. Images attack us. World system is attacking us. The world's values but Jesus said it would be so. I know I don't need to explain these things to you because you have your own testimony. But Jesus said it would be so. He warned us ahead of time. Even I'm reminded at times where the disciples were often told about his death and his resurrection. He taught them about his death and his resurrection. He would say, I'm going to the cross, but I'll rise again. He would repeat that over and over again. And what did the disciples stop at? He's going to die. He's going to die. We're going to lose Jesus. And however they processed it. And it's as if they were selectively hearing. Not wanting to hear of the good that would come out of his death. Not being able to even conceive that. And it seems as if we too can have similar selective hearing. It says, I put you in this world. I'm going to use you in this world. I have a call upon your life. I've given you spiritual gifts. You will, Jesus, I, you will make a difference. You will go into all this world and preach the gospel. You will make disciples. You will baptize them. And we say, yes, yes, yes. And then we have to remember, because we so conveniently forget, in this world, you'll have tribulation. 
Be of good cheer. Now we love that. Be of good cheer, Jesus says. Yes, yay, we're good cheer. Yes, we love you, Jesus. Let's rally, let's sing, let's excite. Yes, we love you, Jesus. Be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. But he didn't say that first. That wasn't the first thing. In this world, you have tribulation. It's coming. It's come for the group, the believers that are being addressed here by Peter. Of the hardness and difficulty where you sometimes feel like you just don't belong. Like this world's not your home. And that there's a challenge in us because we want this world to be our home. There's many things about this world that we like, even in its fallen nature. Many things to celebrate, many things to laugh about, many things to enjoy. But this world's not our home. You ever feel like you're an army of one? (laughs) That you're all alone? Some of you are unequally yoked. You're going to go home to a very difficult home tonight. Some of you are single. You're going to go home to an empty home tonight. Some of you are just stopping in and you're going to go to a very difficult workplace tonight. Some of you had a very, very hard day and you're going to have a hard time sleeping tonight. It's a hard life that we live. And it can feel at times where we're the only one that ever speaks up. We're the only one that ever speaks the truth. That we're the only one in the workplace and in our neighborhood and in our family that's an outspoken Christian. I mean, you know there are other believers somewhere, but you never really hear from them much. It's like Elijah, remember? Elijah had that feeling, man, I'm all alone, I'm all alone, I'm all alone. And God had to remind him, no, Elijah, I've got a lot of people reserved in this city. You're not alone, except that it feels that way at times. It's not easy to stand up for what is right in a dark culture. It's much easier to not stand up because you don't want to come off as some religious nut, you know, overboard. You don't want to be accused another time of being a part of a cult. So there you are at work. That little dirty joke is told. And you might just choose to laugh along with everyone else because you don't want any more attention. You might overlook that little indiscretion, fear of coming off more holy than thou. You you may have no problem reading your Bible in the car, but you never be caught with a Bible at your desk. Because it's just little things that even our culture, not even heavy persecution, but just regular persecution, regular pressure, just making more and more the voice of the believer to be drowned out. But the truth is this. If you're looking for acceptance and a sense of belonging anywhere other than in Jesus Christ, you will be discouraged. If you're looking for acceptance and a sense of belonging anywhere else than Christ, you'll be discouraged. Because as a believer in Christ, you're not going to be happy any place on earth unless you're around God's people. (laughs) That's going to be the place where the greatest, not only will you get happiness, but joy at the same time. You'll get real encouragement and what the Bible calls edification. You experience real koinonia. That's the Greek word for the English word translated fellowship. Now, it's not just talking about the latest sports scores or the the latest uh, car or the latest hobby where we can enjoy time together talking about those things. But the Bible speaks of a deeper relationship you can share believer to believer. It's beautiful. You connect on the most deepest level spiritually. When you're around God's people, there's an understanding. 
Some of you, when you were praying, even today, perhaps you didn't get a chance to pray because we ran out of time. But as you were listening to others pray in your circle or behind you or in front of you, it encouraged you. There are times when I'm praying as a voice might catch my attention and I'm listening to them pray. I'll get so caught up when they're praying, I'll forget what I'm praying. Because I'm just so encouraged what's on their heart. I'm just so encouraged of what God is stirring from them. I'm just so encouraged that there would be a sense of you turning your attention and just what's on your heart and what's happening in your life. You're not going to be happy in any other place than being around God's people. We're different. We believe different. The church is different than the world. Remember that. The church is different than the world. We make a great error when we copy the world. This world is passing away. We are different. We live differently. We act differently. We talk differently. And we love differently than this world. And I say amen to that. If there's any other amen, you can join me, but I say amen to that. I needed to be different. I was the world before I was born again. Just going along with the current of whatever it was. Being sucked in by the temptations and even the passing pleasures of sin. I needed to live and act and talk and love differently. People might call you weird, but it's not weird, it's normal. It's normal to have a different life. It's normal to live with the joy of the Lord. It's normal to have a peace and sleep at the bottom of the boat while the storm is raging. It's normal to trust when everyone else has given up trust. It's normal to be silent when everyone else is yelling and screaming and you're trusting. And by faith, you're living and raising your kids in the ways of the Lord. Parents, you get made fun of because you're teaching your kids how to trust God at a young age. And so what happens? People are offended by that. Maybe even your own family, offended by the values that you're handing over to your children. And that can intimidate you. And I'm here to encourage you, don't be intimidated by people making fun of you loving your children and teaching them the truth of God's word and teaching them the truths of purity and fidelity and honesty. Don't be embarrassed because you're teaching your children that God created the world and that they're accountable to their creator and that they were made in the very image of God. Everyone, man and woman, black and white, brown, whatever language, whatever tribe, whatever nation, all image bearers. You teach that to your children today and for sure they'll make fun of you. What was the big joke for many years in the last 20 years? The big joke and the big make-believe of Christians was making believe of homeschoolers, making fun of them. You guys not, is that new to you? They would make fun of them. They would point fingers. What would you do? You could, and look what happened when crisis comes. What's the popular method of education today? Seems to be okay. Seems to be okay. You just keep your eyes on the Lord. And you do what God has given you the conviction to do. You let the world be the world. You be the believer in Jesus Christ. And let the mocking come. And let the, let the name calling come and you just keep your eyes on the Lord, take your family, take your friends and as many people to heaven with you as you possibly can. Because this world changes. 
Our citizenship is in heaven and not on earth. And don't be surprised, pilgrim, dispersed ones, if trouble meets you on this earth, if things get harder, not easier, and that you start, you start to long to go home. It's not escapist. We're not trying to take advantage. We just cry out from the depths of our heart as only believers can, Maranatha, even so, Lord, come quickly. Even so, Lord. Some of you, this is a word I believe from the Lord, it's very important to receive. Some of you are trying real hard to fit into this world. You're living like the world, but you won't be accepted. You'll be frustrated. It's enough in your hearts today to settle a wholehearted commitment to follow God. You'll never, ever experience and enjoy the peace of God when you have one foot in the world and one foot in the church. Where you pick and choose how you'll live. Please be careful as this goes out on the radio as well. Be careful. What I'm not ascribing to you is that you follow a list of rules and regulations that your church gives you. No, I'm asking you to abide in Christ. He will give you the direction of your life. He will show you what is good and what's not. He will lead you on how. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit will lead you into all truth. When's the last time you asked the Holy Spirit, lead me into truth? I need to know where to go and what to do. Help me. You said, Jesus, you promised me. I'm claiming the promise that you would send the Holy Spirit and he would lead me on into all truth. I need to be led into truth today. God will answer that prayer. You try to live like this world, sound like this world, participate in this world, you won't be accepted. Your gathering with the saints can't just be an exercise for you to deal with the guilt that you have for all the sin you've done all week. So you come to church on a Sunday and you're going to worship. Yay, I love that song. Oh, I feel so much better. God, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. It was such a horrible week. And then the moment you're outside of the building, you're right back into living for the things of this world. And you're right back into living for the devil. You know, don't, don't think that you can live for the de- like, like the devil and for the devil and not pay a price for that. And not experience the consequences. You sow to the flesh, you'll reap corruption. And it corrodes you from the inside out. And the pressure even more is to live like the world, but the Bible says to find your acceptance in the Lord among your brothers and sisters in Christ. Notice verse 2. He speaks to these pilgrims. They're in the dispersion. And notice what he says in verse 2. He says, elect according to the foreknowledge of God, the Father in sanctification of the Spirit for obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. You are elect. Another way of saying that word is you are chosen by God. You are chosen by God. You know, for a fisherman, Peter, he tackles some heavy doctrines. By far, one of the top five most argued about doctrines in all the Bible. The election of God and the free will of man. And so he jumps right into it. This is the second verse. It's the same breath. It's one sentence. You guys, I'm Peter. I'm an apostle of Jesus Christ. I'm writing to you guys. All the ones, you know, the dispersion, the pilgrims. You're elect. Why would he say that? Why would, be, why would that be the first description? 
Because there are times in trials and tribulations where we just wonder if we're saved. (laughs) We wonder, am I doing it right? Because if I'm doing it right, why am I suffering so much? And, And am I in the right place? And am I doing the right thing? And we place this heavy burden upon ourselves. And so what does Peter say? He says, look, I know you guys are suffering. I know it's the worst you've ever experienced. I know you're on the run. I know you've lost everything. You're elect. God has chosen you. This is part of the package. You are chosen. Jot it down as a reference. You can jot it in your margins. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him. So I don't want you to be tripped up by this, and I, I'm not in, don't, there's no need to get caught up in all the arguments and all the debates. This is a doctrine to receive and to be encouraged. I've been chosen by God. The Bible speaks, Jesus himself says, you didn't choose me. Jesus says, I chose you. <laughs> me? Yeah, I chose you. It's God's sovereign privilege to choose And he did. How? Well, notice, he chose the only way he could by according to his foreknowledge. According to his foreknowledge. It's God's will to save based on who he knows will accept him. It's God's choice of us based upon his knowledge that will choose him. God knows the end from the beginning. Or you could say it this way. God knows all things. That's the doctrine of God's omniscience. There isn't anything that is to be known that God doesn't know. There's even a doctrine floating around. It's not so popular now, but it was a few years ago. uh, The idea that God's learning about things the same way you're learning about things, and he doesn't know all things. Can you imagine serving a God that doesn't know more than you do? It's not biblical whatsoever. No, God knows all things, and he chose us before the foundations of what he chose us according to his foreknowledge. There isn't one thing that God doesn't know or that God needs to learn. He knows the whole story before it's written. It's like being at a, at a parade, my favorite parade in the whole wide world. And one day, I hope I, it's on, if, there was a, if I did have a bucket list, this would be on it. I want to go to the Rose Parade, and I want to sit right there up front. And I want to watch that if, I, if we got great seats to sit there, spend the night, whatever we got to do to get the best seats at the Rose Parade in Pasadena, California, we would sit there and we would watch the floats go by one at a time. We might be able to see a little bit over here and we might be able to see it pass over there. But once it turns the corner here or it's over here, I won't be able to see anything back here, but I'll be able to watch it like we live life. We see what's in front of us and then we watch it pass or we might see a little bit coming. But if we were to just to go up in a hot air balloon or, or even in a crane and get up 100 feet, get up a couple hundred feet, we would be able to see the parade from beginning to end. We'd have different knowledge. We could get on a radio and start to say, oh, this is the way that the parade's going to go. It's going to be this float, and then the Honda float, and then it's going to be that float, even where the church I got saved in, Calvary Chapel Downey. Downey has a float. The city of Downey, California has a float in the Rose Parade every year. So we could say, well, it's the Honda float, and then it's the Kiwanis Club, and then there's the float from Downey there. And sometimes the children's ministry, they'll go and take kids, and they'll go put flowers on the float. If I was up just a little bit higher, if... 
If I had a different perspective, I would have a different attitude. (laughs) Are you guys with me? That's why an eternal perspective is so important. What is God's perspective? He knows all things. And that's how he makes his decisions. You and I, we don't know all things. And that's how we make our decisions. (laughs) Very differently. And that's where the bridge between what we don't know and what God knows, that's where our bridge, we bridge that gap by being men and women of the word. We bridge that gap by being men and women of prayer. We bridge that gap by being men and women with many counselors that help us point us to the Lord. Because what does that do? When we ask for biblical discipleship, when we ask for help for a pastor, when we call a radio show with a Bible question, when we email someone, when we text someone, and we wanna, we're asking for a new perspective. What is happening? What do I need to know? When you're praying about being, just for the 10 minutes we were praying, when you pray to ask God to make you a missionary, you are asking God to change you. And don't think for a moment he didn't answer that prayer. Because now you see the election is for what? Sanctification. That's the inward change of God that he does from the inside out. That's the process we're in. We learn this in Romans. That salvation has three parts to it. The moment we are saved, we are justified. So we have justification. God declares us saved. From the moment, that's a moment in time. That's an act. From the moment of justification begins a process of change. That's known as sanctification. And then when that sanctification is over and we're in the presence of the Lord, then we will enter into what is known as glorification where we'll shed our old bodies and we'll have a new body and we'll be in the eternal state in the presence of God forever. So right now, all of us as born-again believers, we are being sanctified, set apart, changed, the work of God in us. And our part is, will we cooperate with him or will we not cooperate with him? And you say, Ed, what do you mean cooperate? Well, it's here in the text. We have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God For the sanctification of the Spirit of God in us. And what? Say it with me. For obedience. You were saved to obey God. That is the natural outcome of the work of God in you. Is your obedience. Jesus said, if you love me, if you love me, obey me. Keep my commandments. Do what I say for you to do. God knows the whole story before it's written so he can make these choices. Would you turn over to 1 Thessalonians? I know we haven't turned at all, but as we wind down today, can I give you a couple more verses on this? You see, as people get caught up in the arguments and they get caught up in all the theological back and forth and argumentation, they miss the whole point. The whole point is in the midst of suffering, would you please remember that God chose you? Would you please remember that he chose you according to his foreknowledge? He knows all about you and chose you anyway. Will you please remember that he's working on the inside of you, born-again believer? That as you draw upon his resources, his burden, his yoke is easy and his burden is light. And he propels you moving forward. Check this out. In 1 Thessalonians, God knows and sees everything and chose us because of his foreknowledge that we would choose him. What an incredible doctrine. Check this out. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 4. 
Knowing, beloved brethren, your election by God. This is a doctrine throughout the scriptures. God's sovereign privilege to choose you. How did he choose you? According to his foreknowledge. Notice. Knowing, beloved brethren, that your election by God, for our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power, and in the Holy Spirit, and in much assurance, as you know what kind of men we were among you for your sake. And you became followers of us and the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. Now, if you read through that, you might miss the significance of what's being taught here. It's the same theme of election and choosing. That's God. But now, we also see, like we see back in Peter, as we're chosen for obedience. Notice this. It says, you're going to always see these two in tension. In verse 4, it says, your election by God. But also notice verse 6, you received the word. God does the electing and the choosing. You and I, we do the receiving and the hearing. God's choice and your choice. They're always going to go together. God's choice and your choice. Nobody born again among us was born again against their will. Where you went to bed a heathen and you woke up and go, oh, I guess I'm, I guess I was born. I don't want to be a born again, but okay, God, I'll be born again. No, you participated. How did you participate? You repented of your sins. You received the word. You responded to the word. Yeah, but Ed, what about the doctrinal election? God chose you. And what did you do? You received the word. You obeyed the gospel. And you're always going to see these together. God's choice goes with you believing in him. Still not convinced? Consider this. John chapter 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That's God's part. So that whosoever would be leaving him would not perish. That's your part. God's part, man's part. So the door is open. This is so good. The door to heaven, if you will, is open to whosoever. Anyone hearing my voice today, if you will come to Jesus Christ, repenting of your sins, believing that he lived, died, and rose again, you will be saved. Anyone, whosoever will, let him come. You, you have God's part and you have man's part. In John chapter 3, verse 36, he who believes in the Son has everlasting life. However, listen, he who believes in the Son has everlasting life. He who does not believe the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. So the unbeliever is responsible for his or her own unbelief. It is not God's fault that you refuse to receive the word of God and repent of your sins. It will never be God's fault. So the door is open for you to believe and the door is open for you not to believe. That's the choice. If you believe, you're saved. If you don't believe, the wrath of God abides on you. Which leads us to the question. Have you ever wondered if you're chosen or not? <laughs> Did God really choose me? I don't really know. Well, I can settle it for you today. If you choose God, then you know God chose you. If you choose God tonight, you can leave here with the assurance that you are left. 
And you go, well, did he just choose me right now? No, the Bible says that he chose you before the foundation of the world. If you choose him, then you know he chose you. The Bible never teaches. Please don't allow anyone to ever tell you this and don't receive it from them because the Bible never teaches that God chose some to be damned, that they never have a choice. God does not allow man to blame him for going to hell. No, God has done everything the opposite of that theology, that false teaching. God's sovereignty never tramples on man's free will. And by the way, they both exist. In Acts chapter 2, verse 23, him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, that is God's sovereignty. And then notice, you have taken by lawless hands and have crucified and put to death. God's sovereignty and their free will working together. God has been, Jesus was delivered by the predetermined purpose of God, but you guys took him. Another one, Acts chapter 13, verse 48. That was Acts 2.23, in case it ever comes up. Acts 13, verse 48. Now, when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and glorified the word of the Lord. So they received the word. And then look at the rest of the verse. And as many as had been appointed to eternal life believed. God's sovereignty. They go together. God created us with a free will in order to have fellowship with someone. That's where real relationship exists in the give and take of our freedoms. God didn't make us robots. He didn't make us to just go through life with no emotion, no difficulties. No, we have real emotion. We're not simply controlled by fate or the fate of the world. God's sovereignty is flexible in operation as he adapts himself to the condition of human hearts. He condescends in order to love. And a lot of people have a problem with that, that God condescends in order to love. But don't have a problem with it. Just read the book of Philippians and watch how it describes how God came. Condescend means to come to our level and how God came to our level as the eternal son took on a human body and lived for you and me. God came to our level to meet us where we were at. And that is the pattern of God. You're not here by accident or by mistake. And the trials that we're facing and that you're in personally, they're not there by mistake. The difficulties of life. This world is hard. It's difficult. And we learn just how deep we put ourselves into this world when we experience pain and heartache and when someone sins against us or we suffer the consequences of our own sin. You're not an accident. You're not a mistake. You're chosen and elect by God. Come back to 1 Peter. He speaks of the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ and the forgiveness. It's heavy stuff in just a couple verses, but it's so encouraging to us. The Spirit of God is sanctifying us and changing us, washing us by the Word and cleansing us from our sins, drawing us into obedience because we've been saved by the blood of the Lamb, not saved by our works or good deeds, We're not saved because God likes us more than the person sitting next to us. We're saved by the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. And one more thing, by the way. I want you to notice in verse 2 how the Trinity is involved in salvation. The Trinity is involved. You're elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. You're sanctified 
by God the Holy Spirit for obedience in the sprinkling of blood of the Son, Jesus Christ. They're all here mentioned together, the Godhead involved in your salvation, involved in your transformation, involved in your election. God is intimately involved in your life. And he loves you and knows the trials and difficulties you're facing right now. Let alone the trials and difficulties of just being a citizen of earth. And he writes to us, as we'll see in the following weeks, encouragement and strength. Because he says at the end, grace to you, the typical opening, grace to you and peace be multiplied in the midst of your problem and in the midst of your pain. May the grace of God be yours and the peace of God be yours. So good. So Father, we're grateful for Pastor Peter as he walks us through the truths of your word today. And forgive us as we get caught up in the theological wranglings of you know, people that have gone before us that just like to argue uh, instead of accepting even the most challenging teachings, even though we may not be, to be able to fully resolve them in our hearts, in our minds. You know, it's, your word says that your ways are not our ways and your thoughts are not our thoughts. And, and so when we come to these things, we miss the significance of how you're deeply involved, the triune God in our lives. And as the church is praying right now, if you're here in this room or watching online, downstairs in the overflow or on the radio, I want to invite you to answer that question. Are you chosen? And you say, Pastor, I don't know. I don't know if I'm chosen. I've never even heard that before. I want to invite you to consider the claims of Jesus Christ. He lived, he died, and he rose again. Jesus is alive today. And it's by his sacrifice that your sins can be forgiven. And if today you need and today you want your sins to be forgiven, then I want you to receive the word. The Bible says, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, I want you to receive this word. If you confess with with your mouth the Lord Jesus and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made to salvation. And so if you're here today and you say, Ed, that's me, I want to confess with my mouth the belief I have in my heart. Would you stand to your feet? I want to pray with you. Obviously, if you're not here, uh, we acknowledge you, but I know that God sees you. God bless you guys here. Who else would say, that's me? If the pastors would come up, uh, any pastors, God bless you in the back over here. Uh, God bless you right here. Like that, that the, if the pastors will come up, you guys are in the room and meet. There's a sister here. Uh, there's a couple guys here. There's a guy in the back over here. Abner, can you come over here to this one? Who else would say, that's me? Today's the day, right here in this room. You can leave here with the confidence that you're chosen by God. Chosen. Why? Because he chose you. Because he loves you. And he gave his life for you. And he wants to be in relationship with you and forgive you of your sins. So I want you to pray with me, would you? Near and far. Even if I don't see you in responding, God sees you. And you could talk to God directly. I want to help you obey this verse. So you could say, you could repeat this after me. God, I believe that I've sinned against you. And I ask you to forgive me of my sins. 
I believe you sent Jesus Christ to live for me, to die for me, and I believe Jesus Christ rose again from the dead to forgive my sins and save my soul. And I repent of my sin today and turn my life towards you. In Jesus' name, amen. We pray that you've been encouraged by this Bible study delivered live from the sanctuary of Calvary Aurora. For prayer or a copy of this study, call us at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-304-7223. Or visit us online at calvaryaurora.org. Be blessed as you worship Jesus this week.